Welcome to TRO Signal. I'm Linda Phillippe in McMinnville, Oregon. And my guest today, I'm excited to introduce to you Tomas Garza. Tomas, I've known for several years now. Um, he's actually been to my home, which is wonderful. He and his wife are now living down in Arizona in the, the beautiful warm desert, which we all love this time of year and uh, don't envy them at all in August. But Tomas has a podcast. It's called Decide to Transform. And he's here to talk to us about travel and spirituality and all the things that make life worth living. So welcome, Tomas. No, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited. So um, let's just talk a little bit about you. Maybe you can give us some of your background of your life as a person. Okay. Well, um, the life story would take quite a long, long time. But background really brief as travel since we're going to talk extensively about travel throughout this show, it's really informed my life. I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, I had a, a family, my mom's side of the family, actually, and my dad's, were very into travel. And I was always encouraged from youth on to explore, which was really perfect because I grew up in the 1970s, the kind of sort of the generation X, the last generation that played outside all day until it was dark. And yes, those young people listening, we did not have the internet. There were no podcasts. However, we still had fun and we made it, we're here, <laughs> right, despite <laughs> all that. But I was always encouraged um, to explore. I think that's really the, the essence of it, is I was fortunate to be in an environment that encouraged me to get out and see different things and experience different cultures, different places. Okay. So, like, we'll just say maybe post-high school, what, what, what direction did your life take at that point? Well, I wanted to get out of Albuquerque. I, I, I went through high school there. And uh, I'll just share that my mother was a hardcore alcoholic, and <laughs> not, not a pleasant drunk, um, the mean variety, the mean and completely dysfunctional variety. So in high school, I got away from the house as much as I could. Now in the 1980s in New Mexico, one could obtain their full on driver's license at age 15. So uh, right after my 15 birthday I was on that in fact I was actually on it before I'll just say that <clears throat> driving I would just take the car but <laughs> once I got my license I got away a lot when I graduated high school I always knew I was going to leave so I went to college elsewhere and in my case it was Tulane University in New Orleans oh wow Really wonderful. <laughs> Talk about fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, it's a lot of hard courses, coursework, studying and partying. It's everything it sounds like. Yeah. What did you study? I studied anthropology. I okay. went down to college not really knowing what I wanted to do at the time. I just wanted to get out of the house. So, okay, mission accomplished. And then I, I wanted to 
kind of take different classes and feel around what I really enjoyed. And I wound up enjoying the field of anthropology quite a bit for reasons that are now really clear to me uh, as an adult. But at the time, I just thought, well, I wonder why I really like this so much, but I'm just going to roll with it. So I did. I, I, I rolled with it. And of course, I've never had a career that's focused on that, but that's really not the point. And it was fun. It was a fun journey. Yeah. You know, I remember taking one anthropology class in college, and I was just fascinated about just the way the evolution of humans across the planet, you know, and the physical geography and all the different kinds of things that, that make up. It's a fascinating uh, discipline, I'll say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is. I really enjoyed how it was about the foundations of human experience. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. The different cultural elements, the archaeological elements, and it, really just a lot of fun. You know, when I was in fourth grade, I fell in love with Dr. Lewis Leakey. I had... <laughs> No, I, right. I think that's about the year he passed, honestly, somewhere oh. right around in there. But I had to do some kind of a, you know, report or whatever. And I just became so enamored with the idea that I would grow up and I would marry a man like Dr. Lewis Leakey. And we would go on these archaeological digs across the world, you know, and it just seemed so, so exotic and romantic to me at the time. Of course, now I'm thinking, and uncomfortable and hot and sweaty and miserable and backbreaking. But uh, at the time, it just, it, it was, it seemed so glamorous to me. Right. Yeah, it did seem really <laughs> glamorous. And I went on a couple of archaeological field trips and I made friends with the professors and, and we, we would go out to a place, that, actually, it's northern Louisiana, uh, northeastern Louisiana, there's a place called Poverty Point, which is a, a famous archaeological site. It's a way up in Tensaw Parish up by Arkansas and uh, Mississippi. And we would actually uh, help. I would actually help them on some excavations and some digs. And I quickly realized while they party really hard and, and they throw great parties, there was very little glamour to it. Uh, it was just a lot of, of backbreaking labor, which I enjoyed at the time, but I knew I wasn't going to make a career out of that. Right. It, sure. It's one thing to do it when you're really, really young. And it's another thing to think, I'll be doing this when I'm 60, you know, with arthritis and right. So right. you moved on. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I moved on and uh, I'm, I'm happy I did. <laughs> sure. So tell me a little bit about how you got into the travel business. Well, I got into the travel business because I've always I've always been encouraged, like I mentioned, to travel. And I've done a lot of travel and living abroad at various stages of my life. I did an exchange program when I was in high school, lived in Spain for a oh. while. Yes. And my grandparents, my maternal grandparents were huge travelers and they've actually taken me on some epic, epic trips when I was eight years old. In fact, they took me to New York and London, South wow. Africa. Yes, South Africa, Botswana on a safari, Switzerland, Washington, DC. That was a three week trip. And uh, it was uh, a game changer, literally. Um, was that kind of as an apology, like bummer about our daughter who turned into your mother? <laughs> We're going to well, make it up to you. 
Yes, in a sense, mm. uh, in a way, not exactly, because my my mom and dad, this was, oh, I was eight years old, so 1979, 1980, roughly, they were going through a, a brutal divorce at that point in time, and I was one of these kids that enjoyed school, uh, which it wound up saving me <laughs> in a lot of ways, especially in high school. It wound up saving me that I, I enjoyed studying and that's how I made it through New Orleans, by the way, also a lot of my friends did not. <laughs> so just enjoyed studying and all of that. But my uh, my grades began to drop and, and I was really feeling the effects of all the strife at home. So they sure. pulled me out of school and took me out. And that was a three-week trip, and we went all over the world. It was it was absolutely amazing. The following year, we went to China together for wow. three weeks in 1981, and that was a very, very different People's Republic of China than what we now see. It's incredible, actually, the difference. Yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing that they went back then, that they were yes. able to and wanted to. They they were able to, they wanted to, and I was actually the first American child, I was nine at the time, um, the first American child that a lot of our guides had seen because we had just reestablished diplomatic relations. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, travelers were rare. Wow, so that, I mean, on, honestly, those childhood experiences really set you up with the wanderlust. Yes. And the idea that it's absolutely possible to have a life like that. Absolutely. Absolutely possible. I've served in the Peace Corps. That oh. was a function of, of that in 99 and 2000. That was in Mongolia. Oh, wow. It's been, yeah. I mean, there have been various periods of time where I lived overseas. And to get into the travel industry was really sort of natural for me. I had just concluded 13 years of practice in mediation. And well, I mean, you may remember that uh, I mean, a lot of my former clients are uh, your neighbors. They were my former neighbors in, in McMinnville, Oregon, mm -hmm. small town. And I spent 13 years in really, really high stakes, high level child custody, mediation, parenting time. And I had that career really kind of end on me happily in 2013 when I had a, a really bad auto accident and was hospitalized and couldn't actually serve clients at all. So I took a clean slip opportunity to get out. Mm -hmm, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I spent some time recovering in physical therapy, all of that. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And the travel industry just sort of happened to me. I had a friend um, from McMinnville that was in my Toastmasters group. I was in a Toastmasters group there locally. And she had, was a tour director for Globus at the time. She had been working for them doing leading cross-country tours. And one day I just sent her an email and asked her how she got into this. And that was really my, my entree into the mm -hmm. industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I was in it for uh, actively for four years. Mm -hmm. and, and you owned your own company, didn't you? I started a company and I didn't end up doing much with it because okay. I was offered a job by someone else. Okay. Taking the someone else's job for oh, about the better part of three years. All right. 
So I never got the my own company and all of that off the ground, but I was oh. about to because I'm, I'm just a, an entrepreneur, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Okay, so then let's talk about um, your big move, which was to Mexico, right? Yes. Yes, we lived in McMinnville, Oregon. Uh, I lived there from about 2008 to 2017, and my wife, Cindy, is from that area. And uh, she, she was ready, probably before I was, to sell the house and, and get out. Yeah, she had owned a business, a women's health club in, in town for 21 years and was just done, done, done with a capital D. She sold her business at about the same time I had my auto accident and wound up quitting mediation. And from, from there, we had the ability for several years to, to move, but we didn't do it. Finally, in 2007, we made the decision that we were going to sell the house and spend some time in Mexico, spend some time someplace in a warmer climate, much warmer, with more sunshine and just relax, decompress and experience life. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what we did. Yeah, I, I remember all of your, your posts and things thinking, oh my gosh, that's the life. Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous, so envious. It, you know, every day out hiking in the sun and the beautiful meals and all the different things that you were doing at the time. And I was really fascinated by that. No. Yeah, well, I, it was fun to share those, those pictures. And we just, we didn't have an agenda. For the first time in a long time in my adult life, I didn't have an agenda and I could just decompress and relax. Because even though I had been working in the travel industry, there was still a fair amount of stress coming in with it. Oh, I, I would never be the one to say that the travel industry is not stressful. Some of the most stressful experiences I have had have been in this career. So yes, it, it they can. Imagine. Now, now let's go back around with the spirituality piece. Do you think, believe, know, whatever that that accident was? That was your wake up. That was your transformative moment. Yes, it, it really was because I was one of these people. And and one thing to understand about the work that I did is that I didn't have to put out any effort at all for clients at all. No marketing, no advertising. I was connected in Oregon at, at the time. And I'm certain that they still have the same system because it saves the courts millions of dollars a year, I'm sure, millions. But uh, they would send people had a contested custody dispute to mediation. So because I speak Spanish, I was able to get on a number of counties mediation rosters. So that is exactly what it sounds like. It's a gravy train referral system. Just open the mail, boom, here are three or four new cases every month. And even though I was sick inside from the toxicity and ready to leave, I found myself unable to do it. So I found myself sitting down at the keyboard, composing resignation letters, and just holding on to them. I would sit down, compose, gather my thoughts, but not hit send on the letter. And the universe finally said, yeah, we're hitting send for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That draft folder is like now 25 emails deep. Darling, it's time. 
Exactly. It, it, it was. And it, it was time because I wound up, I mean, unfortunately, I wound up hospitalized, but uh, yeah, I was T-boned at 55 miles an hour and don't remember anything at all. It's one of those situations that you hear about where someone wakes up in the hospital. Well, that was me. And I had to learn to walk again. And I just was uh, on such heavy pain medication for a while that all of my pending cases were sent off to my colleagues and boom, I had a clean slate. So the decision was quite easy. <laughs> it was time. Well, you know, and it's like one of those things they say, uh, you know, put your hand in the bucket of water and pull it out. And it's amazing that there were people as busy as you were, there were plenty of people to step up and take over for you as okay. well. So well, th there were, and there were people that were envious of the fact that we had these, these contracts, which is really, it's really quite understandable because in conventional entrepreneurship, there's always a marketing component. There's always effort that, ne <laughs> that needs to be put out. And this didn't really require any. And, um, you know, I think a large part of that was what keeps people there. I mean, my colleagues, in McMinnville are still doing this. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and some people, I mean, some people are burned out and just plugging along. And some people probably do find enough satisfaction or enough reward. I mean, it's always that, you know, risk reward thing, isn't it? Of how much are you willing to risk versus the reward that you know you already have, the sure thing. But as an intrepid traveler, warrior, spiritual journeyman, um, obviously, the a deeper path called to you, and, and it always did. Um, it, it always did, and I always had the feeling that this would happen when the time and the circumstances were right to show up and teach, which is what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. It just didn't present itself. I had more work to go through. I had more journeys to take. And literally after mediation was when I got involved in the travel industry. So I had more physical journeys to take as well as spiritual. And now it's a completely different, completely different situation because the time was right to start really going deep with my own experience. So tell me about writing your book. Okay. This was fun. So in 2018, in January, abruptly, the travel industry came to a close. I was working for a corporate entity, and they went through all kinds of financial struggles. This is all pre-COVID, yet they were still strapped. And there were several, I was, I was leading, uh, guiding, uh, guiding and leading hosting trips for a, a big worldwide travel club. And what happened was they had all kinds of financial difficulties in 2017 their host went without being paid for a long period of time. And everybody knows that the industry is wildly fluctuating. It's, it's up and down, up and down, up and down. And the people I met were phenomenal. I went to some beautiful places that I never would have gotten to go to otherwise, but it all came crashing down in 2018 when they let a bunch of their experienced hosts, myself, just they'd all just cut us loose and in a restructuring type corporate effort 
And it really, it's one of the only corporate jobs I've ever had. <laughs> so that's maybe a natural, natural outcome for a lot of people. But it was for me. And then I had a, a clean slate to go deeper with my own spiritual practice. And in 2018, we, Cindy and I were living in Mexico. We spent some time in Playa del Carmen and Merida in, in Yucatan and came back to Oregon for a few months in 2018. And there at a local yoga studio, I just kind of got a a, a hit. It's more like a, an intuitive order, order from the divine, you have been meditating for 30 years plus, which I had at the time, you will now show up and start teaching now. And it was gentler maybe than that, but it was nonetheless definitive time to start. So I started right there at Boho Yoga Studio in, mm -hmm. in 2018 there uh, in McMinnville started teaching meditation and the book came from there because I saw people coming to a meditation practice with the same sort of limiting beliefs and well, excuses, I'll call them for not doing something that is beneficial in life, whatever that looks like for you. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it could be anything for, for the listeners, but in this case, it was, I can't meditate. I don't have time. I, I can't do this. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Right. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm too old, uh, I'm too frail, I'm too young and, and strong. I have ADHD, I can't sit still. There's no way I could calm myself down long enough to meditate. I've, exactly. I've heard those kinds of things as well, yes. Yes, and, and it was so prevalent. I still had regulars that would come despite all that. And even, you know, even, uh, even they would, I could feel them having that voice on their shoulder pop up. Times. But even then, I, I just saw and heard so much of that, that the, the idea for a book about those limiting stories and beliefs came to mind. So over the winter of 2018 and, and 2019, when we were back in Mexico, I, I wrote that. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to go deep like that. Now, let me ask you this, because I've heard a lot of people or read a lot of different things about people writing, and especially with something along these lines, that it just kind of, it feels almost like you're just a channel for things to come through, that you just sit down and you just start typing and it just sort of flows. Is that what it was like for you? Or did it feel laborious and difficult? It was not difficult at all. Uh, the only thing that I think one could consider difficult was the time frame involved. Mm -hmm. Because I've never been one of these writers that just sits down at my desk at eight o'clock in the morning and writes until 6 p.m. like I'm at an office job. It's just so the creative process doesn't work that way for me. So it, it did take a, a period of, of months to get everything together. But it is just like you're a channel. I mean, mm -hmm. it really is. I mean, anyone that, that holds um, holds themselves out as a, as a healer would say the same thing. Sure. For example, they're not doing the healing. They're the conduit for that. Same with the creative process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just really, it's, it's, it's so incredible. So then talk about how, uh, the you know, getting it published and, and all that sort of thing. Was that easy or was that weird or... It was beautiful. Okay, good, good. Yeah, it was beautiful. And I say that because I did it myself. Okay. 
Oh, well, there we go. Published. Yeah. Yes, so you had sure. a fool for a client, right? Isn't that <laughs> like the joke about lawyers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I had understood for years that I was, if I ever were to write a book that I was going to self-publish it because I saw oh. the, the entire industry change from self-publishing being something that's vanity and then it meant that your book was very poor quality, whatever, whatever, right? Um, it, that's not even the case anymore. And with the advent of the internet and self-publishing, there are so many really reputable companies is it can help you out with all mm-hmm. stages of the mm-hmm. process that it, it to me it didn't make any sense to go with a conventional publisher at all so i didn't mm-hmm. okay and and then your podcast you said that was sort of um a way to market your book it was it was that's how i got into podcasting in the first place mm-hmm. and I, I didn't um i didn't really do much in my life with radio except for a little brief period in college and it was it was very brief. It was nothing more than an experimentation. But podcasting just sort of called to me, and this was two years ago, and it was a way to market my book. So I, yeah, I knew um, I knew a couple of people that had connections in the community, and I, I just asked them to introduce me to their people, and I wound up meeting my current business partner and a very, very close friend, Lisa Berry, in 2019, and she helped me put together my current show, Decide to Transform. And it's really now podcasting has become really the centerpiece of everything. I didn't see that one coming. I think that's so interesting that you did and you got involved sort of pre-COVID. I think a lot of people have, you know, during this period of time with all the Zooms and all the, you know, remote meetings and, and the way that we do things now and all the time people have at home, podcasting's become a much bigger thing in the last year, year and a half. But um, yeah, I think it's such an interesting medium. Yeah, I, I think it's fun that you're involved in it. Because mm-hmm. when you started it, I thought, oh, yeah, I think Linda's going to make a great host. She's going to have fun with this. Well, you know, I did that TV show for all those years, 19 yeah. years yeah. of Arts Alive and mm-hmm. sitting in the studio with the guest and, you know, on and on. But what I, I always wanted to be in radio. And so this, I, I kind of really love this because what I like about podcasting, what I like about this medium is <clears throat> it takes the whole visual thing out. And so then the power of what you're actually saying, and you can feel people's emotion come through, but I love mental pictures. And I worked a long time with in a job where I sold flowers on the telephone and shipped them, you know, wholesale to wholesalers and, and supermarkets and things across the country, but made so many great friends that way, new people yeah. in an intimate way that you don't know if you see them. And I thought a million times, this is how blind people make friends. You talk to each other and it's not what you look like and it's not all the visual cues that we get from TV and different things like that. And, oh, I don't like her dress and she did something weird with her hair or, oh my gosh, he's losing his, whatever it would be. Really, it is about the the, the power of your emotions and, and what you have to say that comes through. And I, that's why I really love this medium. Yeah, I, I love it. And I also love that it's, on demand, accessible sure, right. all over the world. Yeah. 
world could be listening to this conversation at, at three o'clock in the morning our time while we're asleep. And, you know, as a spiritual teacher, one of the things I love about this is it's, it's my job. I consider it my job to just show up and teach, to turn the camera on, turn the microphone on, uh, because I, I, I do have a live stream where it's visual as well. Oh, okay. So, uh, in addition to the podcast. So mm -hmm. it, for me, it's both, but you just turn it on, you show up, you teach, because you never know who's going to need your message on a given day. You never know if it's something, a, a bit of humor or laughter. You never know if somebody in another state or another country is going to need a laugh right there and you could make their day right then and there. And, and you just never know. So you always, I, I consider it a responsibility of mine to just show up and, and start sharing, which is how meditation instruction came to me. It's how the book came. Now it's how podcasting has, has turned out. Yeah, it's just a matter of, of doing it. And I, I happen to love it, which is great. And the more you do it, the more you find that your guests come to you, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Uh, they do. And, and actually, I, I'm quite a, a, a networker. I love Messenger and, and things like that. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really quite a lot of fun. So I'm always meeting people. That'll never change. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny when you think now, is it, and, you, and you're trying to remember, okay, wait, was it, was it an email? Was it a text? Was it Facebook Messenger? Was it Instagram DM? How, LinkedIn? Where did I see the message from that person? Mm -hmm. And then you have to go back through all of your little things, you know, and you think, oh my goodness sakes, we have a lot to keep track of these days. Yes, we, we really do. Yeah, I just tend to pick a couple of different platforms and there are others where I, I should maybe do more, but I just don't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and maybe I will, maybe I won't. But, I get it. Me yeah. too. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about, so you've got the tr Decide to Transform podcast, which on, is hosted on Podbean. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and uh, all that information is going to be in the show notes. So whoever is listening to this can, can find you and follow you. But then you also said you've begun a daily live stream on Enlightened World Network, A Course in Miracles. Let's talk about yes. that. Sure. This is brand new. I didn't see this coming either, which must mean it was meant to happen because sure. I had no idea. I wasn't planning on on this yet. I uh, and I've been ha I've been doing it for less than a month. Really, I think to oh. day number twenty seven. So quite literally, it's brand new. Wow. Uh, yes, my uh, my business partner Lisa and I are working with a, a well known spiritual teacher named G P Walsh, whom I think all of the listeners would would really love. Uh, would really love his no nonsense, accessible method of teaching. He just he's a guest on my podcast a couple of times a month, and, and Lisa has a show with him on Home Times Radio, but. But we're helping him get some, some uh, in front of different eyes, a different audience, some different exposure. And it, he connected us, uh, this network, Enlightened World Network, found him. And then Lisa and I, working with him, we wound up each with our, our own live stream on the network. Oh. And I had been looking for a way to teach this realizing that I was at a point where I needed another vehicle to show up and, and reach more people. And they just gave that to me and said, okay, well, we'd like to have this 
are you game for a daily live stream? And I said, yes. And I've been doing it for about four weeks and it's a lot of fun. That's amazing. I love it. It just kind of came out of, out of the blue, so to speak. It, it, did. It, it did. And this is a, um, and A Course in Miracles is a spiritual text that's meant a lot to me. I've, I've been heavily involved with it for about the last eight years. And I had also led a couple of groups and, and done a couple of workshops in the past. So it really made sense. And, and now I, uh, I committed to a daily live stream, which is going to be going on for years and years and years without question. That's how long it takes to unravel some of this a little bit at a time. Right. Because isn't, um, of course, in miracles, it's like a year's worth of each day there's something. But I think typically a lot of times when people do it, they it kind of like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. You just go back and start it again and peel back another layer. Is that correct? It's exactly right. Yeah, and that's spiritual practice in general, no matter what it is. I mean, even if it's, it's yoga or meditation or whatever, is you you always end up on, on time number two. It's like watching a movie a second time or a third time. You always notice something else or reading a novel. You go a little bit deeper and you notice certain sensory details that you didn't notice before. It's always a new experience. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. You know, I was taking a class on screenwriting, actually. And we were talking about, okay, sort of deconstruct one of your favorite movies. And somebody, my favorite movie is Moonstruck with Cher mm -hmm. and Nick Cage, right? I love that movie, just love it. Well, this woman, she wrote something about, about it. And it was really profound to me. And I thought, I, I've seen that movie a hundred times. And I never saw that. I never connected those dots. And it was just amazing. I mean, when you think about how your life, and, and sometimes, like this has happened to me recently, circling back around to things that happened decades ago, and all of a sudden they're coming back up, you know, and but with a different perspective. And I think, wow, I just love that. I, you know, it's obviously, there's there are more lessons there. <clears throat> more things to be gleaned from that than than I got at the time. And so I'm sure that's true for everybody who studies anything. That's just the way life goes. Well, it, it, is. it is. It is because on time number 100, we're different. We're mm -hmm. different than the person that watched the movie for the very first time. And same with traveling. If you've been to the same place over and over, it's never the same experience because you're different. Right. You're, right. You're so, so let me ask you some some of the places that you've been. Maybe some. Have you been back as an adult to some of the places that you went? For example, as a child with your grandparents. Oh, well, I've I've been back to New York. Well, well, and yeah, I've I've been back to New York, and I've been back to China. Have you? Very interesting. So. I mentioned earlier, I was in the Peace Corps in 1999 and 2000 in Mongolia. So I, I was serving with my then wife um, at the time. And this is before we had kids and, and all of that. So we were there uh, just a thousand kilometers away from the capital with no paved roads, very, very isolated. And we got a vacation because you get vacation time. I was a, teaching English at a school in Mongolia. And during a school break, we took some time off. We would take the train to Beijing 
1999, well, in 2000, it was early 2000, it was a vastly different city than it was in 1981, the first time I visited. Oh, in 1981, sure. people dressed in, in, in very, very drab colors. There were far more bicycles in the street than cars. That was exactly the opposite in 2000. And I went to a lot of the same places and had a very, very different experience. So that's one. Uh, that and New York, the places I went to as kids that I've been back to as an adult. You know, I remember one time I was in New York and I had a group and they were seniors. And I was determined that we were going to see, you know, X and Y and Z. And now when I think back about it, I feel a little bad because one lady had a walker. One guy had dementia so bad that we practically had to tie him to his wife because he kept wandering off. All these different things. And I, they decided that they wanted to see the, you know, the shipyard, the big ships. And we walked and we walked and we walked and we walked and we probably walked you know 5 or 6 miles that day and these people were like in their 80s but they wanted to do it i said we could get cabs oh no oh no let's not spend the money let's walk but when, now when i think back about that i think i would never do that again and it was during the time when they were having um oh the occupy new york the, the Occupy thing. And so there was, you know, the streets were all blocked off and all you could hear was sirens and it was an absolutely crazy time. And then subsequently, obviously, I've gone back to New York a couple of different times and you think, wow, it's so easy to just, you know, grab a cab and it's quiet. And, I mean, it's funny. Yeah, there's so, always a cab. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is, and and you make an excellent point. I mean, who you're with makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. Leading a tour group is is definitely different than being there yourself, for sure. So you have zero desire to go back into uh, the the corporate life. I think it's funny when you say that your one corporate job kind of ended in flames in a way, because I feel like. That's the experience of an awful lot of people. And maybe that's, it, it's a sign to all of us that it's way past time to transform our world. I agree. And I think we're seeing a lot of people with this pandemic that are experiencing just the same thing. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. I, I haven't seen statistics or surveys or polls or anything, but I'm willing to bet that once this is all over, there'll be a lot of people quitting their jobs that want them to move back and go back to the office because mm -hmm. they're used to meeting on Zoom and all of that. Yeah, I think they're going to be in for a mass exodus. Well, you know, I think of personally for myself, I used to drive from McMinnville, as you know, where this is, to Portland, you know, two or three, maybe even three times a week for meetings and different kinds of things. And they're always in the evening. And my heavens, it can take two hours in traffic. Oh. And what do I not miss? I do miss getting together in person. I don't miss sitting in traffic for two hours, you know, on 84 or whatever to get to, you know, a meeting of in-person people that you can really accomplish, you know, in 45 minutes on Zoom. Exactly. It's much more efficient. And I drink a lot less because, you know, it's always, there's always like the wine bar and the cocktail lounge and whatever. And it's like, oh God, if we're going to do this, go get in line and get me a drink. And now it's kind of like, oh, you know, I'll have a cup of tea and 
watch a Zoom and it's very mellow. Right. Yeah. Uh, mellow is good. Uh, mellow is, is deeply underrated in our culture. Uh, I, I agree. Yeah. So, Tomas, I'm, I'm glad that you could be with me today. And I, I really wanted to, um, to find out then, so here you are, do you have anything big on the horizon or you're just going to wait for that next bolt from the blue? Well, I'm always ready to receive the next bolt from the blue because <laughs> it always arrives at just the right time. But what I'm doing now is I am actively a podcaster with Decided to Transform. I've got the live stream, of course, in Miracles 365 and a business with my partner, Lisa Berry, as a podcast producer and trainer. So we actually take oh. people and help them start their own podcasts, work through creative processes. And that's a lot of fun. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's about it's more of a creative director role, I think, for us, which I think mm -hmm. is really wonderful. And then there are all kinds of other things that could possibly crop up on the horizon, like doing retreats. Gotcha. I love it. I think it's fabulous. Well, I really want to thank you for being with me today. And it's been wonderful to hear a little bit more uh, deeper about your journey. And I'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. That sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Right,